0: You are listening to Real Life and Other Fantasies, a podcast by engaging storytellers for engaged story listeners. Here's your host, author and journalist,
1: Melvin E. Edwards.
0: Hello, fellow storytellers, and welcome to this edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies. Today, we are joined by guest Dr. Jeff Hubbard, and we're going to have a conversation about his travels across the plains of America by trains and occasionally by rented and hired automobiles. We'll talk about baseball, pizza, music, anything else he wants to discuss. Doc, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here, Mel. (laughs) I, I appreciate you coming and taking some time to talk to us. I've read through your blog and you've had some very interesting experiences, especially in the past year. About a year ago, when you had your sixty-fifth birthday, you decided to do something special and travel across the country by train, in particular. So that's, I want to yeah. start.
1: Sorry, go ahead. No, because say hey, that's right. I, I did. Uh, uh, you know, uh, getting older, as they say, isn't faint for the uh, isn't for the faint of heart, and I uh, I feel like well, I got to get things done before I get too old to do them.
0: Absolutely. Well, I enjoy looking at the photos. It's sort of like going along vicariously through you. So here are a couple questions I want to ask you, and you can feel free to branch off from the question if you have some other ideas you want to share. This is just a a conversation here. All right, so I know that you live out west, and you have a lot of stories to tell about that part of America. On your blog, you have a list of top photos, books, and songs about the west. And I noticed there seems to be a spiritual connection to the west with you. When did you
1: realize that connection existed? what a wonderful question thank you for asking me that Um, I when I I, you know I grew up out here in California uh, and um, when I was probably about six or seven years old uh, my parents and my grandparents started taking me camping Uh, and so we would go to the Sierra we would go to Nevada and then we went out to see my cousins in Arizona, and of course this is the 1960s, and so all the half the television shows it seemed like were westerns, and so there was some sort of mystery and and uh, mythology that kind of d- developed around in my young mind about the West. Um, and as I grew older and I continued to go camping and backpacking, uh, you're correct, you're uh, you're. Description of it being a somewhat spiritual is, is precise. I found great peace and comfort uh, in nature and being outdoors, and in particular in the in the in the deserts and plains and mountains of the West. Uh, it is, as you know, a little less populated than uh, maybe the East, um, and so I was able to really experience some 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 wonder, really, my entire life and awe out here in the West, and so. Um, it, it, it has continued to grow in uh, in terms of my mind and how much I loved it. And then when I retired, I thought, "Well, I'm going to get out there and really experience it the way i wanted to." And I retired several years back now, and I've been able to do that very thing. All right, tell us a little bit about what you did before retiring. Yeah, so I was a school administrator. I, I was a, an educator. I started the. Uh, being a high school teacher. uh, Then I became um, an elementary school principal. Uh, I was a college professor. Uh, I taught at University of Redlands out here in California, University of Southern California. I went into the district office, uh, became a personnel guy for about 10 years, ended up becoming a superintendent, um, and... uh, and uh, But I always miss the classroom, the classroom was my favorite place to be and, and when I think back on my years in education, I always think back on those years in the classroom. Those, if I miss any part of it, that's the part that I miss, but I'm going to be candid with the politics and all the rest that's going on in the world of education these days, I'm grateful to be retired. So you, instead you're just enjoying the sights and listening to a lot of good music.
0: I love good food.
1: That's it. You you got it. You got it. Yeah, I've gained about thirty pounds since I retired, so I'm trying to work on that all the time.
0: <laughs> all right. So one of the things I noticed on your blog was a list of 225 songs about the West. First, I thought that was an odd number, and I'll, I'll get to why how you came to that number. But it, your, the number one song on your list was a ballad of Easy Rider by the Birds, Uh-huh. and the number two out of 25 song was California Earthquake by Sam Bush. So my question for you regarding this list is how did you go about compiling the list and then how did you place them in the order you did?
1: Well, uh, it's not very scientific, really. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, <clears throat> First of all, when I was young, I really, my parents had an album by Marty Robbins and, and it was called Gunfighter Ballads. And it had a lot of these kind of Western songs. And, and then, of course, Johnny Cash, was another western guy my parents listened to so that kind of developed my interest in in music about the west and um when i start when i retired and i started traveling i would make road trip playlists that would include songs from the west uh or and road and road songs so um i developed a list of them and they really are in no particular order i hate to Sound like there, you know, there was some scientific method here. They really are. <laughs> in fact, the reason Sam Bush is probably the last one is because that's the last cool song that I heard about the West, and so I put it on the list. It's a growing list. It was. Okay. It started off with a. It started off with fifty. Then it went to a hundred. Then I'd hear some more, and I'd add some more. So I try to do it in increments of five uh, when I hear them. <laughs> so uh, I've got a couple more here ready to go on the list, but I'm going to wait until I get to. To five or ten before I add them onto the blog. All right, so rather than a
0: a top two hundred and twenty-five, it's more like an ongoing list that currently sits at two hundred and twenty-five.
1: That is fair to say. That's exactly right. Yep, (laughs) that's right. That's right. And they're great songs. I mean, I think there's a lot of cool (laughs) songs there, and I've had I've had musicians tell me they've looked at that list and they and and you know there's some there's some really obviously very famous songs, but there's some songs that are a little more arcane, and I think uh, that people will appreciate as well.
0: Yeah, I didn't notice. I didn't know every song on the list, but I knew quite a few of them. So maybe I'll, I'll make a habit of make a point of going and listening to the ones I don't know. I, I love music too, and all kinds of music. So I'm sure I'd enjoy it.
1: Yes, I've seen uh, on, your, on your Twitter account that you like music. You're a fellow music lover, and so I appreciate yes. you appreciating it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wish I were. I wish I had some musical talent, and we could we can get to that a little bit later when we talk about the blues. Uh, But uh, for your 65th birthday last year, you decided that you wanted to take a little scenic trip across the the country by a train. Um, Tell me about that and how you decided where you wanted to stop
1: and visit along the way on Uh, your trip. Right, well, yes. I had, when I was about 12 years old, read Travels with Charlie by uh, John Steinbeck. And thought, you know, someday when I retire, I want to do a road trip like that around the country. And then I read, uh, you know, in my 30s, I suppose, uh, a book called Blue Highways, and I had the same idea. Um, So I started planning a a road trip for my 65th birthday to kind of celebrate being on the planet that long. And um, uh, also, it was my 20th year of sobriety, I'd stopped drinking about 20 years before, so I thought, this feels like the right thing to do. and. I started thinking about how long I was going to be gone. And if I wanted to go to some of the places I wanted to go, it looked like I was going to be gone a couple of months. And I love the train. So I thought, you know what? I don't have to drive. Maybe I can figure out a way to take the train and do this trip, this cross, cross-country trip, and visit lots of places that I've both been to before and want to return to as well as new places I've never seen. And... Um, also, it, you know, when you're driving, you have to pay attention to the traffic and this and that. And, you, and, and when you're on the train, you have to pay attention to anything except look out that window. And so um, for me, I thought, you know, it makes sense to do it by train. Let me look, explore that option. And it turned out it was really a good choice. It, 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 I was really got to see a lot of the country that I don't know that I would have seen had I driven. That sounds like a lot of fun.
0: I'm... I've never been on a, like an Amtrak train. I've been on sort of scenic tourist type trains out across like Adirondack mountains or the, uh, Tennessee, but things like that, but never an Amtrak train. So that sounds like something that would be a lot of fun. And, and so I'm gonna sort of um, gear my questions towards that trip and your direction heading east. Mm-hmm. So once you got to the Midwest in Chicago, um, understand you had some pretty good deep dish pizza. Oh, there you yes. Lou Melnatis. That's right. a pretty awful cab and a pretty awful cab ride right. on the way out of town. Right. So here, here's my, my question about that: if every trip to Chicago had to include a cab ride, but on that trip you also got that pizza, would it still be worth the trip?
1: Is, is so. The question really, Mel, then is: is it worth? Uh, jeopardizing my life for the pizza, and, and I'm gonna have to go with yes. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> but, uh, no, you know that trip was amazing. By the time I got to Chicago, I had gone through a historic blizzard, which I know you read about in the blog, and I was so grateful to uh, to be uh, in uh, you know uh, in Chicago because I've all, I've enjoyed Chicago. Been I've been down there for three or four times before and uh it was marvelous and uh it was calm there uh it was lovely i had beautiful dinner um but yes there was a guy who i guess he felt frustrated he thought he was going to take me to the airport but instead i just needed to go to the train station which was about two miles away as opposed to a full fare and he got so angry uh and uh you know, so I felt bad that he, I, you know, I said, I'll give you a nice tip, but uh, hey, you know, but he was angry, and, and, I, and he was driving around Chicago like a crazy man, and I, I absolutely, it's in my lifetime, it's the craziest taxi ride I've ever been on, but again, we made it, we survived, dropped me off. I said, just drop me off here. I was about to, a block away. I just dropped me off here, probably, <laughs> and uh, and it was Close fine. He was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he was kind of cutting through car, cutting through intersections, running red lights. I mean, it was just really uh, dangerous. But uh, it, that was the only thing about that experience that was negative. Chicago, in my experience. I have had so much good luck there in terms of, and maybe this is Midwestern hospitality—I don't know—but the people have been, always been so kind to me, and so helpful, and uh, very friendly. So this was a this was a one-off. It was it was not not normal for this to happen uh, with the cab ride. Everything else about that about that experience was terrific. That's
0: that's awesome. So as you left Chicago and headed further east. A destination of Cooperstown apparently you had another snowstorm right. and your friend um, Tom Thrash who you were meeting in Cooperstown helped rearrange your schedule to get, to get you there safely so two Sabre guys which is the Society of American Baseball Researchers um, two guys in that organization meeting up at Cooperstown which is sort of the Mecca for baseball fans
1: the Baseball Hall of Fame what was that experience like for you? Hey Mel, thanks for letting me talk about this because I, I we had so much fun and I appreciate you asking. Um, yes, yeah, so the, the the train ride out there was lovely. It goes along Lake Erie. It's called the Lakeshore Limited, and I got to Utica, New York, and um, it, which is about an I want to say an hour or so from Cooperstown, maybe a, a bit longer. And I was going to rent a car, but I woke up in the morning and I was supposed to go over there and and uh, to a red thing on my phone—a red alert, a weather alert—that said that a, a snowstorm was approaching. And I thought, "Oh no!" Uh, I had been through that on my uh, through Montana through the High Line. so I called my friend Tom, who was going to meet me at Cooperstown and he was going to actually stay out there in a hotel as well. And he said, "Oh no, I canceled my I canceled my reservation." Here's what I think we ought to do. I'm going to come out. I'm going to meet you. Let's go to the museum together. We'll spend the day there. Then in the evening, I'll drive you back. And he lives in uh, the Hudson Valley in New York. So he knows all of this. I was really lucky. He, uh, He was such a wonderful guide. And not only that, he knew that if the weather was bad in Cooperstown, that it would be fine where he was going to take me, which ended up being Poughkeepsie. Now, I'd never been to Poughkeepsie before, but I was grateful to, <laughs> I was grateful to end up in Poughkeepsie. Um, but he, he, so he did. He came all the way out, uh, picked me up. Uh, we drove, uh, actually, I took an Uber up to Cooperstown, but he came all the way out and met me at the Hall of Fame. And uh, he, had, of course, had been there previously. He's a New Yorker. I had never been there and wanted to go my entire life since I was a young man and it was Shangri-La for me as a baseball (laughs) fan. It it was just absolutely delightful. Every minute I spent in there was great. Uh, I bought a t-shirt on my way out and the lady said, so are you staying here in Cooperstown? And I said. No, I'm not. She said, "Oh, good. You know, there's going to be two feet of snow tonight." And I said, "Okay." Oh, wow. So um, we we finished our day. Uh, sure enough, Tom drove me down to Poughkeepsie, um, and uh, because the trains weren't running either, uh, there had been. Uh, I was going to take the train also from uh, Utica down to New York City but there were trees that had fallen on the tracks. So it worked out marvelously. Uh, Had it not been for him, I don't know what the heck I would have done. He really saved the day. And of course, he's a wonderful guy too. He's smart uh, and again, so knowledgeable about the area uh, and really helpful. So he was uh, was, was was my angel on that trip. He was a, a blessing. Yep. So your first trip to Cooperstown. Yes.
0: First trip to the Baseball Hall of Fame? Yes. Well, every baseball fan, I would highly recommend going to visit the, the Baseball Hall of Fame at least once, preferably more than once. Uh, but I, I recommend going on one of the induction weekends, which is a crazy time in Cooperstown because you've got a hamlet of about 1,000 people normally. But on one weekend in July, you've, you have as many as 100,000 people crowding into a little town that's only made for a thousand or so so it's it's a crazy experience but I, I do recommend it probably only once but, it, but I, I recommend you going there um, so if you ever get a chance to go back, try to go back in July and by the way, yeah. it gets very hot unbelievably hot there in the summertime I was surprised when I went in July and it was 97 degrees or something so when did you go, Mel, what year did you go? Well, I've actually been there about eight times. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I love that place. I had a membership, and I would go any, whenever I could. When I, I lived in Maryland for, for quite a while. So it was about a six-hour drive for me, and I would go whenever I could. And the last time I went was about three years ago. Okay. It was um, the 100th anniversary of the American Legion. And I happened to have a conversation with one of the um, – directors of the hall of fame via email and asking them if they had planned any kind of festivities for the american legion's 100th anniversary because american legion baseball has been so integral to um developing players who have eventually reached the hall of fame i thought it was a natural um celebration that 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 they would be holding but they didn't even know about the anniversary so we started talking and and I helped them put together a program and invited my team. I was um, the director, player, whatever it was called for general manager, essentially for the Annapolis American Legion baseball team. So they invited us up there and we had a, we had Lee Smith who was being inducted that, that summer. And he had played American Legion baseball in Louisiana. So he was the guest speaker. And we just had a weekend of celebrating the American Legion baseball and the baseball. Major League Baseball and a Hall of Fame um, collection, um, collaboration is the word I'm trying to find. And I don't know if you know this, but probably 85, I think, um, former American Legion baseball players are currently inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So without the pipeline of the American Legion, baseball might look very different across the history of this country.
1: I did not know that. And that's that's pretty impressive. Of course, you know, I knew about American Legion baseball, and and obviously uh, it, it makes sense that that would be the case. Uh, how fun for you. I should, I should, uh, I, should uh, uh, I will return. I will take your advice, and I, I should go with you. Uh, we should go together. <laughs> Show me around. Um, because you're right, it's, it's an amazing place, and and, uh, and how great you got to see Lee Smith, who I got to fortunately watch play in my lifetime and uh, get him see him get inducted and and um, it, it is it is an extraordinary place. If you're a baseball fan, I can't tell you how, how how wonderful it is. And I and I do want to go back in July. I do want to go for an induction. My wife retires in a year, and she has told me she really would like to go to upstate New York. So I said, well, we can make that happen. And so there you go. Yes.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend staying in Cooperstown for more than two or three days. There's just not that much to do around town. Right. But if you want to go drive out within an hour of of the city, the town, you'll you'll find lots of interesting things. There, there are caves and there are other halls of fame. There's a soccer hall of fame there. Oh, uh, okay. There's a farming hall of fame there. So if you're into farming equipment and, and farm history, you might find that fascinating and, too. And it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's really pretty out there. So, yeah. And, It really is. Oh, and another—if you ever go more than once, in return, July is what I recommend. October is also a time I recommend. It's really beautiful in October. All the leaves change colors, and it's—I was in there in October once, and it snowed. So it could snow at any time (laughs) of the year there, or it could be ninety-seven. It could be ninety-seven degrees. You just don't know. But I I recommend those two times in particular: July and October. Wonderful. Thank you. So I've got one more question yep. about the Hall of Fame. Um, so as you were, as a lifetime baseball fan, first time at the at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, how did you feel entering the doors of the Hall of Fame? And did you feel the same sense of
1: awe when you, after you had visited
0: and exited, the doors of, of Baseball so, Hall
1: of Yes, the answer, when, when I walked in there, I, I, I felt like I, I had finally kind of, I was realizing a lifelong dream and you know, as you know, the docents are wonderful. And, and and they immediately said, so where are you from? Who's your favorite team? Who are your favorite players? They engaged in baseball conversation right away. And uh, I grew up here in Southern California. Sandy Koufax is my guy. And Maury Wills, uh, who should be in the Hall of Fame. That's a whole other story in my view. But at any rate, um, they said, well, look, uh, Sandy's plaque is downstairs, but you know, you, here's here's how we recommend you, you go about doing uh, the the visit. Um, we're here to help in any way, and um, uh, it was just one experience, wonderful experience after another. And getting down to the plaque room, Mel, as you know, there is something you think it's just a room full of plaques, and well, what the heck? How interesting could that be? I, I, I don't, I can't describe it to you how absolutely fascinating and awe-inspiring it was for me. And I remembered Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver said he used to go there and he would close his eyes and rub his hand along his plaque just to make sure it was real. And and it feels that way. Every one of the plaques uh, is impressive. Every one of the players is impressive and you can read about each of them. And and so for me, that plaque room, as much as I love the memorabilia and the stories in the other parts of the of the museum was, but that plaque room was magnificent and I loved it. And so that was our last part of it. So as I walked out, well, again, I, we walked out, we went, I got my t-shirt, but that plaque room kept coming back to me. And when I got home and went through the photos that I had taken, um, I, I, I was so thrilled that I was able to take photos of the plaques. Again, that may not sound like something if you haven't been there, like, oh, it's a plaque, but no, they, they are magnificent. Uh, uh, as you know, they're um, they're special to the players as well as to all of us fans. So that was a great experience.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, About 20 years ago, I, I happened to be there on Father's Day weekend, and my son was five years old at the time so little little guy and they showed they have several movie theaters in there i don't know if you got a chance to watch one of the baseball movies there but they were showing the rookie they, they were showing the rookie with um about jim morris and and not the doors lead right. center, but right. <laughs> the pitcher, jim Morris, and and he actually was there that weekend he and, he and his son his real life son were there in cooperstown signing autographs and we got to meet them and then they let us. They also showed, obviously, Field of Dreams, which is a perfect Father's Day movie weekend, a Father's Day weekend movie. Uh, and after the movie, they allowed parents to go out on the field and play quick game of catch with their kid. So I got to go out there with my then five-year-old son, and he doesn't remember it really, but I always will remember it. He's 25 right. now, and and it's it's a very special memory for me.
1: I don't remember the movie, the name of the movie we saw. I know it was about history. They did a significant part of it, which motivated me, by the way, to go on another trip. Uh, They did uh, 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 on the Negro Leagues, which inspired me to then go to the Negro Leagues Museum, which I did on a follow-up trip, uh, on a road trip, actually, which is in Kansas City, Missouri. And I don't know if you've been there or not, but uh, Bob Kendrick is the The, the uh, you know director of the museum and he ah, that guy he's he's brilliant and they have done magnificent things and they have great dreams for where it's going to be, end up going so um, the, it, it was it, it, yeah every part of my experience in Cooperstown was great and again it 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 uh, uh, motivated me to uh, look at some different kinds of things that I might not have done otherwise I had always wanted to go to the Negro Leagues Museum but after seeing that I thought okay I have to go and I did that very next year awesome
0: i've never been there so that's that's on my bucket list and i need to have bob kendrick that you mentioned him i need to have him on this podcast he's the ultimate storyteller
1: he is the most entertaining and knowledgeable person maybe in all of baseball yeah i know he's the negro Leagues museum guy but i have to tell you i don't know of another person uh in the field of baseball who is more entertaining or more knowledgeable than bob kendrick is so yeah i think he'd be a great choice for you awesome Okay,
0: so let's go on, we've gone all the way to the East Coast, heading back towards the, the Midwest again, and you stopped in and to see the Blues Hall right. of Fame. So tell me a little bit about your interest in the Blues and how you experienced
1: that Thanks, Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, so um, this is so fun for me to talk about my favorite things. Um, when I was a young man, I loved rock and roll music again. I grew up in the 60s, and so when I was in college, I took a class called, uh, I think it was called Popular Culture of the Rock Generation or something like that. And on the very first day, the, the professor said, okay, just so you know, we're going to spend the first half of this, uh, of this class on the blues because there is no rock and roll without the blues. And he then proceeded to play Robert Johnson's version of Crossroads and then played the Cream's version of Crossroads and said, this is, here's a line. And so I fell in love with the blues. I must've been about 18 years old. And I fell in love with the blues when I realized that it of course was the precursor of my, of my music that I'd listened to up to that point. And I started listening to uh, Muddy Waters, um, and I started listening to Sonny Boy Williamson, and um, of course, then I discovered the Delta Blues at some point. And um, of course, Muddy was—they were all. So many of them were originally there. Then they went to Chicago later on uh, and to play that electrical stuff. But those Delta Blues, Sunhouse, Robert Johnson, those kind of guys—I I, I, had been just absolutely fascinated by them and that music my entire life, and I love it, and it speaks to me. Um, and um, so I had always wanted to go to the Mississippi Delta because I had wanted this, I don't understand, and I still don't really fully understand how a place geographically can create an environment where so much talent forms and so much genius, truly musical genius forms in a particular area. And I don't know if it's the hardships, the weather, the culture. I don't know what potential or what components of it really make for that. But the, uh, but the Mississippi Delta, it, it, it has, as you know, this extraordinary history uh, regarding the blues. So I, I wanted to go to Clarkston. Uh, where the crossroads. Crossroads were where uh, Robert Johnson allegedly sold his soul to the devil. And so I wanted to uh <laughs> I wanted to go there to the crossroads. Um but also they have a juke Joint Festival um every year. Uh I didn't go to that, but they but they're noted for it. Um and there's just so much history there. So um I went to a place called Cathead. Uh, which is there's a young gentleman there. His name is Roger Stoll, and he knows where everybody's playing at all times. And I got all the information I could from him. I stayed in a place called the Shack Up Inn, which is the craziest, most fun place in the world there in Clarksdale, uh, and um, it was only there for a couple of days. And what I discovered was I really need to go back. I also had spent some time in Memphis, so the train arrives in in Memphis. I drove down to Mississippi. Um, spent some time there went back to memphis and and i really need to spend more time in memphis memphis i only touched on i went to the civil rights museum and did some other things there Um, but that area it merited more than three days four days that i was there it really merits three or four weeks i think probably at least two weeks and so i plan on the next few years going back uh, maybe for one of the juke joint festivals in, in Clarksdale or in Mississippi somewhere. Um, I love New Orleans. I'm going to New Orleans, um, but that's a little different deal. That's where jazz, in my view. Um, but that whole area down there around the Mississippi Delta it, it is just an extraordinary place. Uh, and i got to get back. And, and i got to get back to Memphis, too, um, uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah, I'm hoping to get a chance to go to Muscle Shoals,
0: Alabama in September. Yes. Um, there's, um, I think it's the 60th anniversary of the of the Swampers and the music um, company there. Actually, you've become friends via Twitter with the son of the the man who started no the kidding. record company. Wow, that's great. So, I'll have to I'll have to send you his Absolutely. his information once we're off here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But as I mentioned to you yesterday, I was texting to prepare for this, um, there's some pretty famous blues musicians in my family, and unfortunately I was born a little bit too late to really enjoy it, but um, Lightning Hopkins uh, was my mom's cousin, and it's funny, I always heard her talk about him, and she never called him Lightning, she called him Cousin Sam, and so I knew her referring to Cousin Sam, but when I heard other people talk about Lightning, I never put the two together. And I remember watching, sitting on the couch watching the news with her. I was probably 14 years old, and the local news in Houston um, was doing an obit on Lightning Hopkins. And and she said, oh, "That's that's my cousin Sam who just passed away." And then finally, I put the two together and realized. Lightning Hopkins and cousin Sam were the same person. Unbelievable.
1: <laughs> Unbelievable. And you told me that and it knocked me right out. I got to tell you, when you told me you were related to Lightning Hopkins, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, what, absolutely one of my favorite musicians of this lifetime. So it's so interesting to me. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And Albert Collins also is a cousin. Um, I'm not quite sure how closely they were related. I know he's close enough that we went to the same thing. Well, but when you used. told me that,
1: I looked them up. And sure enough, it says a a relative of Lightning Hopkins. So they were related uh, as well. So part of that. Yes, they were related, yes,
0: through my my mother's side of the family. I don't know exactly how, but I do know they're related. And every year our family has a reunion in um, Centerville, Texas, which is out in Leon County. And my first, I've read a couple of books. My first book traced my mom's family line back to... Leon County during the time of slavery um, our first ancestors were in <coughs> Texas in Leon County in 1844 and that's where both Lightning Hopkins and Albert Collins were born so it is a very small town I, I, th- I looked it up recently and there are probably 200 people who live in mm. this little town so almost everybody there is related <laughs> right. to me somehow but but they were but Albert Collins who was born Albert Drury. Um, would go to those family reunions. I saw a video on YouTube um, of him doing an interview, and he talked about the family reunion. I thought, I was there too. You didn't mention me. <laughs> of course, he didn't remember me. I was, right, I was a kid, right. So. <laughs> That's great. That's great. But all right. So I've got just a couple more questions as we as we wind down here. So tell me about just sort of wrap, to wrap this all up what what would be your greatest takeaway from from this <clears throat> lifetime this trip of a lifetime for you
1: you know I, I, a couple of things one is um t- t- that i really am grateful and glad i was able to to do it that i was able to see these places that i'd only dreamed of uh, and thought about my whole life one of the things uh you had mentioned was to ask me some things that I, you know maybe were unexpected and one of the things that was very surprising to me was you know in my mind as a california guy you have envisioned places mississippi a state sweltering in injustice as mlk said or alabama um and i had been to texas really but but I i spent a little time in georgia but not much but i'd never really spent any time in the deep south and of course I also I love the West, so I thought, well, it's, it can't be as pretty. And so one of the things that I found w- was that my stereotypes that I had in my head, this is what travel does for us, really, it, were wrong. They were wrong. And, <laughs> in fact, these are beautiful places. I mean, geographically, I'm talking about the, the land is absolutely gorgeous. Uh are such pretty places um, going through Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana, of course, and, and Texas. And so... Um, for me, that was a huge part of it, uh, and so there, again, uh, I also got to breathe in the that Delta breeze, um, which I had wanted to do, and so it felt also on this trip as if I was actually living my dreams, that, that I had had these dreams for 60 years in my life, and here I was absolutely right there in the middle of it, and and there was something so gratifying and fulfilling about that, um, and I again, I have such gratitude around being able to go on, on such a marvelous trip, um, and I hope, you know, I will do other, lots of travel, I'm not done, um, but to be able to see those things and, and spend as much time as I did uh, was an extraordinary experience, and I, obviously, I'll never forget it. Well, that's awesome. And I
0: appreciate you coming on and sharing those stories with me. Maybe after you've taken a few more trips, we'll we'll catch up again and and, and you can tell me some more stories and share Absolutely. some more photos on your I, I,
1: I'd be more than happy to do that. I, I'm excited for what you're doing here, Mel. I love the notion of just having conversations the way that you want to do. And, and I think it's something that'll, that it will be marvelous uh, for the podcasting world. I think that's great. You bet.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, and thank you, Doc for joining me today and sharing your fascinating stories. And I'll be checking out your post on Twitter and sort of living some of your Western dreams through the internet, via your blog and, and other other avenues. So, thanks again for being here and being a guest. I really enjoyed it. I hope we can continue well, to have stay a conversation. In touch, off.
1: And uh, I will uh, look forward to uh, maybe gra- buying you lunch one day out in out, out, out in Texas. I look forward to that. <laughs> That
0: sounds great. Thanks a lot. And I'll talk to you again soon. That was another edition of real life and other fantasies with your host, Melvin E. Edwards. Join us again next time for more stories about more things than you can imagine. Some of those true stories may even be about real life. See you next time. Make 1908 House of Wine and Ale your new favorite destination between San Antonio and New Brownfuls. With 15 ales on tap, more than 30 craft beers in cans and bottles, and over 70 wines, we have a selection that's perfect for both relaxing with a glass or gathering with your friends. We even have wine on tap.
1: That's right, we have wine on tap.
0: www.1908houseofwine.com
1: Family and animal friendly.